a lot of people's wondering what is the blues. I hear a lot of people saying the blues, the blues, but I'm gonna tell you what the blues is. When you ain't got no money, you got the blues. When you ain't got no money to pay your house rent, you still got the blues. A lot of people holler about, I don't like no blues, but when you ain't got no money and can't pay your house rent and can't buy you no food, you damn sure got the blues. If you ain't got no money, you got the blues, cause you're thinking evil. That's right. Anytime you're thinking evil, you thinking about the blues. Welcome, everyone. This is That Record Got Me High. I'm Rob Elba. It's great to have you guys here again. And I have a guest calling. We're doing an early or an early morning. I, uh, Marty, I usually will, will drink a little, but I'm, I'm just drinking orange juice now because it's uh, <laughs> 10 a.m. in the morning. You know, what am I going to do? I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm not a full-fledged well, alcoholic. Bit, the Rock and Share album is definitely a whiskey album. <laughs> yeah, right? I know. And I was thinking that. Right, for sure. Oh, well. Maybe uh, tonight in, in I'll have a yeah. whiskey tonight instead. Um, all right. But, I was planning on doing that as well, but we'll, 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 uh, soldier on. Yeah. You aren't, you aren't hardcoring it and drinking whiskey at uh 10 AM in the morning. You're not doing it. <laughs> no, no. Okay. That's okay. Uh, all right. So this other voice you're hearing is uh Chicago. Now, are you in Chicago, Marty? I'm in the Chicagoland area. I'm in okay. uh, Huntley, Illinois, uh, right. but I am originally from Chicago, was born in, uh, on the South side in Bronzeville. In fact, uh, as uh, as th- as fate would have it. Oh, okay. All right. You so know, Bronzeville, Bronzeville being the uh, the area of Chicago where chess was located, and and uh, many of the most important uh, bluesmen lived. In fact, Muddy Waters only lived uh, a few blocks from my childhood, my early childhood home. Oh, okay. Because I was going to ask. You, all right. Well, to fully introduce you, we have Chicago blues historian marty weil uh welcome to the show marty and so how, thank you it's how does one here. i was gonna ask you how does one become a chicago blues historian but i guess from you kind of answered the question because i guess it's just sort of you grew up there has it always yeah i was i was born in into it uh yeah yeah i was born I, you know it's in my dna I, I you know i lived on the south side during sort of the uh, golden era uh, of the blues although i was a, <laughs> a wee child at right. the time but uh those the mid-60s uh, but I, I just grew up with it. It was it was always around for me. Um, I got into it heavily, you know, as I was able to get into the clubs and bars and see these acts before they they passed away or were no longer, uh, you know, playing. Uh, and then in college, I really got into it because I, I sort of went to the Blues College at Illinois State at the time. had a uh, uh, had the son of uh, uh, Luther Allison was attending and. Many of the bluesmen made a point of stopping at that college, uh, saw Buddy Guy and Junior Wells, and Buddy Guy put on a class, really, more than a show. And uh, right. uh, from that point on, I, I sort of studied the blues and uh, have been doing okay. so for the past 30 years. And I, I have a, uh, a, a Twitter following of like 8,000 who follow Chicago blues history. It's actually shy blues history. And my own my Twitter handle is at Marty Weil on Twitter. So oh. either one of those is good. 
All right, nice, awesome. So, are you you're you're uh, you're you're so into the Chicago blues and everything? Is there any good new blues out there? Is there anything good now? Is there good new? Well, blues you know, I, I don't uh, contemporary blues. I, I don't really comment on. I mean, there are there are some fantastic bluesmen uh, out there, and there's some from the old days that that, that have bands. Um, yeah, there's there's terrific blues everywhere. Buddy Guy's still going strong at at almost 85. Um, the scene in Chicago, you know, clearly isn't what it once was because so many of the legends, like Howlin' Wolf, are no longer with us. Uh, and but there but there's there are second generation bluesmen um, uh, who are out there doing a great job. Little Ed and Blues Imperials. Now you say you don't want me. You don't want me hanging around. Nephew of J.B. Hudo, um, some of the grandkids of B.B. Uh, King, Muddy Waters' children. Oh, okay, was, yeah, because that's what I was wondering. So, yeah, I was wondering there. If, if there was young, if there was any young people out there still, and I guess there there would have to be, right? Because there always is. Yes, Things, yeah, they're always with the blues. Will always be with us. Right. All right. But what's the record? So the record we're obviously digging back, uh, digging back, and what's the record that we're talking about tonight? We're talking about, you know, Howlin' Wolf, the Howlin' Wolf album, which is better known as uh, the Rocking Chair album. Actually, the uh, interesting thing about that is, you know, it, it, it was supposed to be self-titled Howlin' Wolf. And that image on the cover became so uh, iconic that in later reissues, they actually put the Rocking Chair album uh, as the name of uh, on, on reissues. But uh, it's Howlin' Wolf. Um, and these songs were recorded from 59 to 62, sort of the... Uh, at Chess Records um, after after Holland came from Memphis, and uh, all these are singles that were then compiled into right. this into this album, which which can, is considered at least by the authors of Moaning at Midnight, the uh, biographers of Holland Wolf, to be the most influential album on uh, UK rock bands in the '60s. And yeah. of course, many of these songs ended up on those their albums uh, right, as, right. as big hits. Yeah, I mean, obviously, all right, so me, so full disclosure, I mean, obviously, I've heard of Howlin' Wolf, and I've heard a lot of these songs, but I'm not, I've never just been a big blues guy, just because, you know, I, I just uh, never was, but you you listen to something like this, and right away, there's no way, if you're a fan of, like, rock and roll and everything, there's no way you could listen to this stuff and not, like, love it and realize how great it is, you know? Uh, I agree. I mean, yeah. I think Sam Phillips of Sun Records would agree too. He 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 had said, if he had been allowed to continue to uh, record Howlin' Wolf, that that the whole trajectory of rock and roll would probably have been different. And ah. I, and Howlin' Wolf felt Howlin' Wolf felt, felt strongly the same way that if he had been born, uh, you know, later, uh, and was a younger man in in, in the mid '60s, that, that that things might have been different too. As well, he wasn't a he wasn't a well man. Uh, you know, as the '60s progressed and into the '70s, so, but, but yeah, yeah. Any rocks, any anybody who's a rock fan is going to immediately recognize a lot of the lyrics that are from this album, yeah, uh, and yeah. a lot of the songs that are on it too, because they were they were future hits for other other bands, right? And 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 and, and it isn't just that; it's like the because you hear obviously you hear Rolling Stones, you hear Led Zeppelin. I mean, you hear you know exactly. Oh, okay, they they either stole this or covered it or borrowed it but even later like when i was into the punk bands like the gun club 
was up this morning Blues walk like a man I was up this morning Blues walk like a man And the cramps and all these bands and you hear all that in this too you know like like it, it was lifted l later on from all different genres and styles of music like this is right the minute, the minute this album came yeah the minute this album came out people started borrowing from it uh, in, in, interestingly the second track little red rooster is the only blues song to reach number one on the uk pop charts ever and that was by the stones it it did oh, reach right, right, it right. reached like 11 on the uh pop charts in the u.s by when it was done by um uh, sam cook i believe but the, in, any, in any event yeah these these songs i mean come into play in, in, in numerous ways and have been sampled even in, in hip-hop and rap uh, they just live forever, um, you know, and, and a lot of that credit goes to Willie Dixon. He wrote most of this album. Yeah, yeah. Well, is, that was another thing I noticed. I go, oh, holy shit. <laughs> most of these songs are written by this guy. Yes, and it took him years Dixon. years and years of litigation later to get his money from, you know, people like, uh, uh, you know, uh, the, the UK bands that, that lifted the material. Oh, wow. That sucks. But um... yeah, <laughs> and, but it's a it's a wonderful album. It's, it's it's a monster album, and and you know it's wonderful. You're profiling. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm really glad you picked it. And uh, yeah, let's just get into it. Let's get into the first record. Let's listen to a little bit of the uh, opening track, "Shake for Me." <laughs> good and yeah if, if like i said if you've never heard this and you're a zeppelin fan you can't not just the not just the lyrics whatever but the uh, phrasing robert plant basically the the phrasing that that um that howlin wolf does that's uh, that's planned that's what robert plant took and you know ran off with yeah you make a you make a very astute uh, observation in 69 the songs shake for me which we just heard and backdoor man were used in the lyrics for Led Zeppelin's Whole Lot of Love. Shake for me, yeah. I wanna be your backdoor man. Hey, oh, hey. <laughs> and, and yeah, and, and it's just there's no way you can't hear it. And I, I think some uh, British bands, uh, to their uh, to their credit, I, I, I'm sure like the the, uh, the Stones I read for sure, like they they would have Howlin' Wolf like open for them, and they and so the, it, it, it's kind of ironic in a way that they. They almost helped them get more well known here in America just by you know pointing out oh well this was uh, this is Alan Wolf and and uh, and sort of schooling uh, some Americans on these on these American blues acts that got really big in the UK. Yeah, yeah, the Stones in particular they got Wolf on uh, uh, US TV on Shindig 
They insisted that he be on that show with them. This is his only appearance on U.S. television. And if you you can you can find it on YouTube, it's Shindig, and he is he puts on a performance uh, that is just vicious, ferocious. He's angry. He knows this is his one and only shot. He knows he should have been there before, and he should be there after. He never will be. And he just he points at the camera. And, he shouts at he shouts. It's 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 awesome. Oh, really, nice. it's, it's it's breathtaking to see him do that. Um, if, if, if anybody gets a chance to YouTube that, they should. Oh, okay, awesome. Yeah, yeah, we should. And and he was a large man, right? He, he was a big guy. He yes, he was present. over well over six feet, three hundred pounds. Uh, he was he was a force of nature. Yeah, and his voice uh, just has this presence, this like soulful presence. Like you believe whatever he's singing, you believe it a hundred percent. Absolutely. No, he's he's, uh, you know, Sam Sam Phillips, uh, Sun Records said, you know, this is where the the soul of a man never dies, in the in the voice of of uh, Howlin' Wolf. Right. All right. So let's. Uh, so this next track, this is the one you mentioned, uh, Little Red Rooster, that uh, that you know uh, was uh, was a UK number one hit, but for the Stones. <laughs> uh, right. But it's just yep. this great uh, slow blues. Uh, listen to a little bit of Little Red Rooster. <laughs> Notice listening, uh, listening to these songs that there's a lot going on in these songs. Like in this one, it's, you got some great, you got the great slide guitar, piano. You got this great piano throughout it. Um, so there's a lot going on, but the thing is, his his vocals always uh, cut through. Like it doesn't matter whatever they throw in there, his vocals are always going to c- cut through everything. Well, he's he's very fortunate on this on those singles in those years. He's working with absolutely the top players in the field. You know, you've got uh, of course Hubert Sumlin, his alter ego on guitar, but but Jimmy Rogers plays on a few of these tracks as well, which was Muddy Waters guitarist. And on piano, you have the unbelievable Otis Spann, and you also have Lafayette Leak. So you know, and and you're, and you're also talking about Willie Dixon makes an appearance on bass on Going Down Slow. He also does vocals on that. And Buddy Guy is actually on this album, uh, on some of these tracks. I saw that. I mean, so, the, the yeah. list of people, yeah, the list of people that playing on is amazing. And and it's, that's that's not by accident, right, Marty? Well, all these people were in the chess stable, so they were they were able, you know he was they were they were able to be brought in to do these pieces. But he also had his own band. 
on piano was also Henry Gray, who was with him for for ages, decades, and he's on piano on on some of these tracks. Uh, he also he's in a fantastic uh, bluesman. Didn't put out his first album until he was into the late '80s, and he was a very old man at that time. But it's a wonderful album. People seek that out. Uh, Henry Gray is on this, and on drums you have Fred, you have Fred Billow, you have Sam Lay. Uh, S.P. Leary played drums on some of these tracks. So, you know, it, it's basically a Hall of Fame list of people who worked on this album. Right. But uh, but uh, when what I was reading, he had a uh, reputation of paying musicians well and even like giving them like things like in- insurance and stuff, which was, I guess, rare in, in those days. Yeah, that's true. He signed them up for uh, Social Security. Yeah. And I had I had read online and other places that he had also did, did health care for them, but I, I'm not sure that's true. But I do, I do know he's he did sign them all up for Social Security. Oh, okay, he okay. later in life got very interested in, in the business side of things and was very astute, uh, although his early education was very poor. But uh, he, he he went to some of the Chicago high schools uh, and took uh, classes uh, to to become a, a band leader and a, and a business person. He was quite good at it. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's awesome. All right, so this next one, you'll be mine. Just the uh, the the grit and rasp in his voice is like so rock and roll. In in uh, this next one here, let's just do a little bit of "You'll Be Mine." You so sweet, you so fine. How I wish you was mine, honey. Uh, sounds of of these singles they all sound really great do you have do you have any idea how they were recorded like were they were they recorded everyone in a room together or was it put together yeah um these were all recorded at chess studios and you know and they had uh they used a lot of interesting techniques uh to get sort of that echo effect um there's there's some good books been written about how they did the, the things that they did technically uh but they they definitely had a they definitely had that chess sound to it uh and it's it's you can also hear the really great uh guitar riffs in these songs that were that later picked up by almost everybody right right uh, yeah for sure. so th- this th- this is the these this is the original stuff i mean we're at we're at the uh point of which you know the early 60s um the sort of goofy rock and roll of the late 50s you know was uh we're in a period where, where where this was rock and roll truly it just didn't it wasn't named that it wasn't called that for for, for racial reasons you know that that was this 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 should have been what was played on you know the radio uh because it was so compelling it turned out to be true because it sold millions of records for white bands right <laughs> but not so not so many for howlin wolf 
Well, yeah, that's another thing I was going to ask you about the singles because these were all singles. Where were these? Like, where were these? Sing- were these singles just like sold mostly to like to like blues people, or were they played on the radio at all at the time in the U.S.? Well, there were there were some radio stations that were dedicated to the blues um, throughout the South and even in some of the bigger cities. But no, these were not crossed over to the white audience. Right. Um, and, you know, and there's and of course, we don't need to get too deeply into that, but because there's been a lot said about it. But um, the, the fact of the matter was, you know, the, the, these songs were pushed to a corner and relegated to a corner uh, where they there just weren't that many people. Uh, potential buyers. I mean, they, they, this, this was sold, uh, it, it, a successful blues album was a couple, a single was a couple thousand records, you know, they went to oh, shoot wow. boxes and, you know, and, and that's why they're rare and hard to find as well. So how were you, were you, when you were young, like, how were you exposed? Were you exposed to these all? Like, were your, were your parents listening to any of this stuff in, in your house? Um, you know, the thing was, I like to tell people I, I heard blues in the crib because, you know, I, 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 my first several years of life, I was in an attic. I, 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 my crib was in an attic and it was, a, it was a duplex and the guy next door played blues. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> yes. I could hear it through the walls. My parents didn't so much, okay. but you know, um, you know, but then growing up, that's what I gravitated towards. It was a sound. I just, it just seemed like that was the, the sound that appealed to me the most. Yeah. Well, Marty, this is something I, I wanted to mention. I don't know. You may not, you, I know you're, you're a blues historian. You may not realize most of these songs, I think they're really about sex. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's true. Uh, although, um, you know, yeah, I, I, they are, they're, that, that's, yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it, that's absolutely what, what Willie Dixon was going for. He was, when he wrote these, he wrote these, he would, he would pick, songs certain songs for certain artists like Howlin' Wolf would get certain songs and to fit his persona which was you know he was this big vital you know yeah lively sexy band you know he was he was that was what they were going for and that did sell <laughs> records I mean it was all about the party and fun and that, that's what they, that's what makes these records so much fun to hear today they are all right so now we get a song that actually written by uh um Howlin' Wolf uh, let's listen to a little that's bit right he did write a couple of these yeah Who's been talking? So 
this just this is a really great song though. The lyrics, I I really like the lyrics because they're it's very mysterious. Like his baby, his his baby caught the train, left him alone. Uh, basically, she's gonna ride as long as he's so he's away. She's kind of paying him back. Like he was away from home, and now he came back, and now she's leaving. But do you know, Marty, when he says my baby bought the ticket long as her right arm, my baby bought the ticket long as my right arm. That that's that sounds awesome, but that's that's kind of strange. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I you know, there are interpretations of lyrics that you can make. Uh, yeah. That one I don't know what to make of. I know. I, I, I know. Do, it, what's what's really cool about this song is you, if you're a, if you're a Tom Waits fan. Uh, this really this is where he gets his a lot of his influence oh, from yeah, this very right. song and then at I the end him, he yeah. actually yeah he actually borrows the ending at the end he played the end he's like I'm the cause of it all he keeps repeating that and then in a Tom Waits song he repeats that exact phrase the exact same way with oh, the exact okay. same music okay. kind of yeah yeah I mean yeah that, that uh, I mean it's awesome in a way because these are uh, these are great artists themselves that just sort of recognize how brilliant this stuff was and you know and couldn't let go of it and, and it you know it affected them so much so that yeah that that's kind of a testament you know to how great uh this stuff is you know yeah i love that song that that song gets you high <laughs> yeah for sure for sure yeah it, it's great it's great and i'm really you know that's the one thing i love about doing uh this show marty is because i i do get exposed to this things that you know you've heard and obviously i've heard of howlin wolf and i've heard these songs but w when you dig into something like this and you get it and then you realize there's a reason why this is a classic and why you know why why uh people are still talking about these things you know it, it isn't just by accident and and now now we get a song that has been covered by the I, I love the list of uh, artists that have done Wang Dang Doodle. We got the Pointer Sitter, uh, Pointer Sisters, PJ Harvey, the Grateful Dead, and Ted Nugent, <laughs> and uh, and Coco Taylor. I used when I, I I used to go to bars and sing Wang Dang Doodle with Coco. I would, she would really? I went to so many Coco Taylor shows. She would let me sit on the side of the stage, and when they would do Wang Dang Doodle, she would stick the mic in my face so I could do you know really all night long. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Coco Taylor was. Ubiquitous in Chicago in the early '80s, and practically every weekend you could catch her somewhere, and I almost always did, and she got to recognizing me. Oh, nice! That little uh, white boy uh, decided to say he's going to sing "Wang Dang Doodle" with me. Awesome. Yeah, well, she she like she got everybody involved. Oh, that's great! All right, let's listen to a little bit of "Wang Dang Doodle." <laughs> You know, it, it's funny. Uh, you mentioned Tom Waits, and I listen to this, and I'm thinking, you could play, someone who didn't know any better, you could play it and say, oh, this is a Tom Waits song. And they'd go, oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> 
that's a great that's a great party song um it brings back a lot of great memories. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> being, I'm sure it being, does. <laughs> being, being totally wang dang doodled all night long in a bar in Chicago with blues playing is just about as good as it gets. Yeah, yeah, that's great. That, that's awesome. Uh, all right, now we get another Willie Dixon song. So, man, yeah, and, and I read, was there kind of like a thing where uh, Muddy Waters, between Muddy Waters and Helen Wolf, like you'd write a song for one and you go, hey, when are you going to write me another one, you know? So was there kind of like a little thing in between them as far as uh, doing um yeah, yeah, I, I think that's 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 very true. But I think the Chess brothers sort of played go between with with Willie Dixon and, and those two gentlemen. They were the top people in their in their chess stable, and Dixon tried to tailor songs to each individual's uh, personalities and the way their persona was and right. how it would work for their live shows. So yes, it was very. And in fact, there are some tracks if you listen very closely. I'm not sure on this album, but on other albums, uh, like the chess box set of Willie Dick of uh, Willie Dixon, you can hear him actually whisper the lyrics to uh, to Holland Wolf. He would sometimes have to do that. He would sit right really? next to him and whisper <laughs> the lyrics. Yeah, and there's some tracks if you play them loud enough, you can hear Willie Dixon whispering. Oh wow, that's, <laughs> that's <Yeah>. amazing. <laughs> it's uh, pretty cool. All right, so we got another Willie Dixon song here. Let's listen to a little bit of Little Baby. So the reason I was asking you if, if you knew kind of how they record it, because I don't know. I mean, it might not be the case, but it just sounds like people playing in in a room, you know, like a band, everyone playing together in a room together, which is great, which is what you go for. So they, they did a fan. If it's not even the case, they really did a great job in uh, making it sound like. Well, that. to any for anybody who's really interested in that aspect of it, uh, they can come to Chicago and visit Willie Dixon's Blues Heaven which is the old chess studio and they give you a tour and they'll tell you all about how they made those songs. Oh, nice. Okay. Well, I may actually do that. That sounds like a great, that sounds like a great trip, like a great vacation. Hit, hit me up and we'll go, we'll check out some music afterwards. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Maybe we go somewhere and see someone play a uh, Wang Dang doodle and you could sing along with them. I can almost count on it. <laughs> Unfortunately, Coco is no longer with us, but somebody's uh, out there playing it. Right. Right. Of course. This episode of that record got me high podcast is brought to you by our patrons at Patreon. What is Patreon? Well, I've only been telling you about it for the past three years, but Patreon is a platform that allows you to support artists and creators that you love. How do you become a patron? Well, I also mentioned this too. You go to patreon.com forward slash TRGMH or just go to patreon.com and search for That Record Got Me High Podcast and become a patron of the show. It's fun. 
it's well i don't know how fun it is really but uh it really helps out and we appreciate you and we have special patron curated episodes and we send out newsletters and uh it is fun let's i'm just going to go on record as saying it's kind of fun go to patreon.com forward slash trgmh and become a patron today All right, so uh, we flip it over. We got side two. We got another Willie Dixon song. This one was has been covered by Etta James, Cream, and uh, even and Willie Dixon himself. So he he also uh, sang and, and did songs, but his style was uh, different, right? Not like Helen Wolf. Yeah, well, Willie, you know, Willie Dixon was he wasn't as good a vocalist, I think. And, and t- he spent most of his energy producing, arranging, you know, right. playing bass. You know, you see him almost everywhere playing bass behind people uh, in videos, but uh, yeah, he, he's, he, he was a fantastic bluesman in his own right. Yep. There's no doubt about it. But no, yeah. Like you said, few people had the voice of Helen Wolf, the, the voice he had. Or Muddy Waters. So he had right. those two people to write for, plus yep. a bunch of others. Yep. All right. Let's listen to a little bit of Spoonful. guitars in this one too they're great just that one that one simple riff that's playing that's sort of anchoring his vocals and then the uh the uh, lead guitar behind that it's like really great i'm glad you mentioned that because he does something they do something here that's a tradition in the blues where they let the guitar finish the line i don't know if you noticed the beginning oh, there right, right, he doesn't right. say spoonful he lets the guitar say spoonful yeah and that's uh that's a that's something that is uh that the blues that's part of the blues tradition Ah, okay. Oh, wow. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's simple. It's something so simple, but it's like when you hear it, you, you, uh, it's just effective. very effective. Oh, very, exactly. Very effective. Um, so this next one going down slow, this is, uh, which I had never heard of St. Louis. I'm sure you, you know, St. Louis, Jimmy Odin. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, he, that, that his original is very, very good. Yeah, it's good, but I listen to it. But definitely, uh, Howlin' Wolf definitely puts his stamp on these songs, on the songs that he does. Because if I would go back and listen to the original or other versions, he definitely makes these songs his own, you know? 
Right. And he, he makes them more timeless. You got to remember that his, these recordings are now like 70 years old, 65, 70 years old. Right. And yet, you know, they still sound very, very fresh. Whereas you're right. The originals like uh, that, that one you mentioned, yeah, it's going to sound a little more dated. It was recorded right. much earlier, but, exactly. but still it's, a, it's, it's remarkable uh, how these stand the test of time. They still sound fresh. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what I was saying. Someone just like anyone, someone that loves rock and roll, you'd put him down and play this record. Yeah, this is fucking rock, rock and roll. You know? I mean, <laughs> oh, yeah. Not, yeah, it's, yeah. It's great. All right, let's do a little bit. Hundred years from now, they'll still be listening to this album. Hundred years. I from think now. so. If if we're still around. I do. I do think as so race, as well. As, a, as 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 humans, if we're still around, uh, Marty. You know, it's <laughs> right. Well, if we that's can questionable. play it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I hope I hope they can hear this 100 years from yeah, now. Yeah, or whatever species is around then we can we'll still be listening to it hopefully. Uh <laughs> let's listen to uh, going down slow. Man. You know I don't enjoy things that kings and queens will never have. In fact, kings and queens can never get. And they don't even know about it. And good times, Okay, well, as a musician, I'm going to call it right here. That that guitar player and that drummer were playing together in the same round because you could hear them playing off each other so oh, much. Yeah, this. yeah. Uh, it's so yeah, weird. oh, there's no question. There's, there's no question about that. The, the really cool thing I think about that song is is that Willie Dixon, you were asking about him, he does the spoken part. That's oh, him at oh, the beginning. Oh, okay, nice, nice. <laughs> and then, of course, he introduces the term great googly moogly. Yes, to the right. World in, that, in that song. <laughs> Now this next one, I didn't. I don't see. It, it, it's kind of hard to get. Uh, well, I'm I'm sure it's available somewhere, but to what uh, instruments are being played? But I feel like down in the bottom, I feel like I hear horns. But I'm wondering the uh, guitars. If it's really just the guitars that sound like horns on this one, I, so I can't I believe that's Hubert Sumlin. You know, one of the greatest guitar players of all time in any genre. I think he's he's been creating that sound for that's you. That's what, yeah, that's what I think. At first, I said, "Oh, there's horns," and then I realized, "No, no, that's a guitar player making that." Oh, it's so great. Uh, let's listen to a little bit of it. Uh, down in the bottom. <laughs>
Yeah, his <laughs> guitar almost sounds like a saxophone. And then there's some uh, <laughs> exactly, yeah, some great slide playing this too. And the thing about these songs, obviously, they're most of them are really short. They're like you know between two and three minutes, and they they end so quickly. You like almost wanted to keep going. You wanted, I mean, as listening to these songs, I would keep going back and listen to it again because it'd be over before you knew it. You know. Well, the thing is, the you know these were put out as singles. Uh, so, you know, you don't have an album track, you know, although the, song, the prior song, one of the prior songs, I think Cream put it on, I think it was Spoonful. They did like a 17 minute version. Yes, which in right. my opinion, yeah, that's Cream. Hearing yeah. Cream play that for 17 minutes would be too long. Yeah. So maybe yeah, they, maybe they hit the sweet spot on the, on the time. I think so. I think they did. Yeah. No, I don't want to hear. It. Yeah. I, I, there's hardly any. <laughs> All right, so uh, a backdoor man. What is that? What is the what is the definition of a backdoor? Well, the man idea man? is that the idea is that you a man would be leaving out the back door when the husband came in through the front, <laughs> right. or he would come in the back door so no one would see him. You know right. that, that that that's the idea there. Yeah. And he would visit. The interesting line in this is you know that he eats more chicken than any man's ever seen, and that's a reference to you know the, the woman would save the good food for him and feed her husband like oh, pork and beans. Oh, that's that. <laughs> that's not right. <laughs> and then uh, and then you could if you really you were know, talking about how a lot of the songs are about sex and then you could take that eating the chicken thing to a whole other That's what yeah, that was the first thing. To. Yeah, that's the first thing I thought of too, but it's great it, it <laughs> okay. actually works but, in both ways though. It's a great. Well, that's the beauty of Willie Dixon. He wasn't he wasn't just clowning around writing lyrics. He he made it so that there were there was multiple layers and a lot of depth and a lot of a lot of life. I mean, there's this. It's just really talking about the, the, the nitty gritty aspects of of life as it was for the uh, the Great Migration generation, the people who came up from Mississippi to Chicago and brought the blues. And you know that that's that in is of itself is a huge historic of huge historic importance. And when this album came out, it was at the height of that migration. So, you know, that's why these songs are about, you know, barnyard animals and, and, and all kinds, you know, all kinds of things that aren't really, uh, that an urban dweller wouldn't relate to, but somebody coming from the South to the big city, they would have that, that, um, that nostalgic touchstone in these, uh, in these songs and these records. Ah, okay. Right. Uh, makes sense. All right. It was part of home for, it was part of home for them. Yep. All right. Let's listen to a little bit of a backdoor man. And, uh, you know, um, 
uh, one other thing I was thinking about it, it's when you when you hear blues, you think blues they're like down. Uh, you know, you're singing about it, it's uh, it's you know down things. I, I I got the blues, but a lot of this stuff just makes me feel like up and like happy. <laughs> so I don't know. Is, is that just me? Well, is it's, there it's, something wrong with me? Or no, I mean I I, I tend to agree with you. Uh, you know, the, a lot of this was played in as party music and in, in, in juke joints on uh, people would put this on the jukebox and you know, they would want to dance and they'd be drinking and they'd be having a party and having fun. Right. Uh, you know, there are gut bucket, you know, low down blues and I love those as well, but, but just as many for, for every one of those songs, you know, there, there is a song that's just upbeat and fun and, and, and it's a party. Right. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's what, uh, that's, that's how I see this. All right. So this next one, Willie Dixon obviously had to write this for him, right? Howling, uh, yeah, uh, I mean, I think, I think, I think, yeah, absolutely. This, this, this is one you could point to and say when he wrote it, he was thinking of Holland Wolf. But I think in a lot of cases, he was when he wrote stuff, he was thinking of either Holland Wolf or Muddy Waters or somebody else in, in the chess stable that they they needed songs for. I mean, he he really he he wrote over six hundred songs, and he wrote the the great American songbook that nobody knows exists. Right. You know, right. these are the blues standards that are played today, and they come from the pen of Willie Dix. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, yeah, and and there he's singing. He's got some falsetto. He he does like a really great falsetto on this. And how I you know I I've read different things. How did he get that that name? Is it was it how he sang, or did were they call him that even before that? I you know if if I recommend the book uh, Moaning at Midnight, and they do explain it. They do get into that. I don't recall exactly because th- there was a couple of. Uh, a couple of possibilities and you know it but i i don't i don't have chapter and verse on right, you right, know, right his name i do know that he got the howl and you know, he, he learned to howl from uh the jimmy rogers the uh the singing brakeman he used to what wolf explained that while that guy would yodel and wolf couldn't yodel he could howl and that's where he got that <laughs> oh okay nice that's where he picked up that, that that sort of thing doing that thing and his vocal range in this song is particularly impressive it is it is it's so great uh yeah let's listen to a little bit of howling for my darling She's hot like red pepper. Red pepper. <laughs> <laughs> and sweet like cherry wine. Yeah. And, you know, the great thing about that, you know, the, the, the sad thing about that is that ED commercial used that and sort of ruined it for a while for me. But oh, God, that, that song, that's right. I was wondering just, where I 
that yeah exactly oh, yeah no. yeah he he wails on that that's awesome he does yeah he really does and uh, so uh, where was he where did he grow up where was he from originally uh he's from mississippi um he's from one of the, he's from a plantation down in mississippi yeah so he's and, got that uh, accent. Gravitate. yeah his accent and delivery is is more that even though chicago that's not a shit but no a chicago yeah, accent I mean, he, you know he and um, most of the chess table were from the Mississippi Delta. And then, of course, uh, Wolf migrated up to Memphis, where he recorded with Sam Phillips and made his name, you know, in West Memphis, the West Memphis clubs. And once he made a bankroll there, he moved to Chicago. Right. OK. All right. So uh, the the final single they have on here is another one that he wrote. And um and this this one he's singing something's wrong in this and I'm thinking maybe maybe it's not about a uh, a a girl a, a woman at first I thought that but then in reading and listening to it more I'm thinking no nah, I think it's Oh yeah okay yeah you know a lot of times um in the blues I'm not necessarily speaking of this song in particular but um they would be complaining about a woman right in a song um but really what they were doing was complaining about their white boss or the you know the, the guy who was the overseer or something like that. They, right. they would sing these songs about a woman doing them wrong, but what they were really saying was this man is doing us wrong. The man who was a metaphor. Their woman was the metaphor for the right. man. Oh, that's exactly. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so they could say all kind of things they were going to do that were all nasty and stuff, but it was all right. it was, sometimes right. it wasn't it wasn't what you thought it was about. Right. God damn the man. The man's still around too, Marty. When is the man ever going to not be the man? <laughs> I don't know, but the man sure, sure got it from these guys, and uh, and he deserved it. The he man did. deserved it too because yeah. they, they did a lot of bad things. He did, yeah. They were, you know, he got more from them from like Rage Against the Machine, everything. They don't have anything against this <laughs> these guys. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, a, a lot of a lot of like you know, this is a, a lot of what's in here is sort of proto punk. Oh, for and, sure, you know, proto hundred uh, percent. You know, heavy metal. Yeah, especially proto heavy metal. So you're you're seeing you're really seeing the genesis of so many, so many things we still do here and deal with, and and, and some of these same problems that, that these right. people had, you know, in the mid century of the 20th century, we still we still grapple with it today. Is because it's really about being human, and that never changes. Well, yeah, it, it's like you were saying. This came after like the 50s rock. They were just singing about stupid things, and this they were singing about real the real things and real life problems and everything. And that's basically what we you know like all the stuff I listen to, uh, punk music and all that. That's what it was real. You know, people singing about real shit. So yeah, this is the first. Yeah. Exactly. Time, yeah, that was done. Uh, all right, let's listen to uh, Howland's uh, song, Tell Me. Tell me what in the world can be wrong. Tell me what in the world can be wrong. Yeah, 
so so this one, I, I think it's what you were just talking about because yeah, he mentions his baby and everything, but he's just singing generally trouble. He don't even know what it is. Woke up this morning, trouble knocking on his door. Like like he doesn't know what it is. I wonder what it is, but it's like something heavy hanging over him. You know that's coming. And uh, right, exactly. Yeah, right. No, yeah. And, and you you also get to hear a little bit of, of Howlin' Wolf's uh, uh, really fine harmonica work. He's not really known as a harmonica player, but he could play the harmonica. I was going to ask you that. And he, uh, that is him uh, mostly playing the that harmonica, is him. right? Yeah, and he's great. And I think he he's the only he's the only harp player I believe on on any of these tracks. But he can he could play, he could play the harp very well. Oh yeah, and that's another thing that these uh, Mick Jagger and everything you know lifted from him. You know, I mean, God, it, it, it it's so and funny. They, these Mick Jagger bands. plays the harmonica very poorly. Yeah, I know he does. <laughs> he does. But you're right. They right. They picked up the harmonica. A lot of those guys picked it up and put it back down, but picked it up because they heard it on these of albums course. and they wanted it to yeah, sound like course. that. Yeah, of course. Which I mean, good on them for having good taste at least. You know. <laughs> oh, wonderful taste. Remarkably right. good taste. In fact, they that their their taste and their ability to tease out this stuff from all the other junk and and focus on it was the key that unlocked the, the riches uh, of the late 60s for those bands. Right. Right. They, they knew they do they knew a good thing when they heard it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> they wanted it and they wanted to be like it. Yeah, and I think that's that's how I felt too when I was when I that's what I got it got me like it got those guys. Oh yeah, but really, but yeah, there was nothing like going back and listening to this stuff and listening to the original shit because that is the. Real I agree. Shit. Yeah, I agree. It's a, a real education and eye opening for a lot of people, and it's wonderful to be able to expose people to this music because uh, it's so great and it's so wonderful to hear. It is. And uh, yeah, I'm so happy. Uh, Marty, it was so great having you on and, and that you brought this. Uh, it's great. And uh, so where's the bet? Where's the, where can people follow you on uh, Twitter? What's the Twitter handle again? At Shy Blues History. Yeah, there's 12,000 posts there all about the blues and lots of recommendations for books, albums, you know, live bands, even new, new, new music, too, like you were talking about. And then, of course, I'm also on Twitter at Marty Weil, my name, M-A-R-T-Y-W-E-I-L. I'm more active now on Marty Weil because uh, I, I believe that that 12, those 12,000 posts for the Shy Blues history really, really uh, are an archive for people. Oh, right. It's a place, yeah, a place to dive in. Okay, good. Awesome. Uh, yeah, it was great having you on. Uh, don't forget, guys, you can follow me on uh, Instagram and Facebook. It's at That Record Got Me High. Also, that Facebook group Got Me High is a lot of fun if you want to waste some time on that. Uh, Twitter, I'm at TRGMH Podcast. You can email me at trjmh33 at gmail.com. And guys, if you want to become patrons of the show, I would really appreciate it. Go to patreon.com forward slash trgmh. You can come a patron and help out uh, if you enjoy me having all these different guests and talking about records. Uh, I love it. I really, I love it. Lately, especially, I've been doing records that I either had never heard before or never dived into. And it's usually, I mean, not even usually, it's like always great. Uh, no one's brought a, a really, cool, well, maybe one or two, not that I think about it. But uh, we've had a really good run lately. <laughs> uh, I've enjoyed listening to some of your, your shows. I like that Springsteen one on uh, the East, the the, uh, the early Springsteen album you did. Oh, nice. That yeah. Was the, very, the, very interesting. That yeah. was one, again, I was never a big Springsteen guy, so that was one I didn't think I would enjoy that much. And I did. It was great. And I really did. Yeah, I appreciate Marty. you having me on the show, Rob. Thank you so much. Oh, it was great it's having been a real, you. real pleasure. Yeah, it was great having you on. I, I, I really appreciate it. Uh, thanks again for listening, guys. We'll see you guys next week. We are out of here.
Oui. 